Welcome, everybody, to SNL After Party for our January in Review podcast. My name is Mike Bloom, and I'm here to welcome in a man who never had to get a name changed. Uh, though, considering the affiliation that someone else with his name has, I think it would be only appropriate. Mario Lanza. Mario, how are you? Oh, I am very good as a proud Gen Xer. I'm just here watching the world burn. <laughs> That's very true. Honestly, that is sort of like the attitude that you take to a lot of, as you've expressed before in our podcast, the attitude you take towards politics in particular. So I feel like you were really embodying Keenan uh, in that particular sketch. <laughs> yeah, that that line spoke to me, and it's funny because I'd never thought of it that way. But that very much does, you know, sum up my view of the internet and social media and just pretty much everything in the news in general. I just kind of sit back and mock stuff. So, like, I, I very much... Uh, uh, I could relate to Keenan's letting the world burn stance there very much. Thank you, Keenan. So for those of you that might be scratching your heads a bit to say, wait a minute, uh, there just was a second episode that aired. Shouldn't we be hearing John and Steve talk about this episode and then hear these two uh, jamokes talk the next week? Uh, there was a little bit of a scheduling thing going on where John and Steve are not able to record the James McAvoy Meek Mill episode this week. So we did a little bit of a flip-flop, a bit of a switcheroo, if you will, and hopefully, unlike Taryn Killam and Chris Hemsworth, people uh, will not detect a switching places uh, indistinguishable. So Mario and I are going to, we'll talk a bit about the James McAvoy episode, just sort of whet the appetite since it just recently aired, and for people who want that sort of hot take right off the top uh, about it. But I think we're going to usually do our January in-review stuff, which will cover the Rachel Brosnahan episode and the James McAvoy episode. Only a couple of episodes, but... Still a lot of stuff to talk about. So so let's just get right into it. Uh, so we just witnessed at the time of recording this, the James McAvoy episode last night to finish off the month of January. Mario, what did you think? <laughs> We're going to lose a lot of listeners. You know that, Mike, on this one, right? Uh, I mean, look, everyone, comedy is subjective. People have opinions because, spoiler alert, uh, I don't think Mario or I have high opinions about this one. <laughs> Not as not as high as uh, Kylie Jenner's branding team soaring into the stratosphere, freaking out. I'm going to quote the great Greek philosopher Plato here. I'm going to go way back and say that it was a great episode for me to poop on. <laughs> yes, to quote a uh, former SNL writer. <laughs> yeah, I I just did not like that McAvoy episode. Almost I, uh, the whole episode, I just kind of found myself being not enthused by it, not inspired by it. It just felt like they were kind of phoning it in. And then I got online and I was shocked to see how popular it was. And I know you had said the same thing that you've noticed there's some split opinions on the McAvoy episode, but a lot of the, a lot, a lot of positive stuff out there. And I, I don't get it. I just didn't feel that episode at all. And I will sum up the feelings of my wife. My wife, Diana was watching it with me and she's kind of sitting there reading a book through the episode and she'll look up if something gets her attention. And she, at the end of the episode, she's like, I didn't look up once. Like, there's not one thing that drew my attention to that episode. And that's kind of how I felt as well. And it's one of those, like, I didn't think it was an outright bad episode. It's just not one that really ever called to me. There's nothing in there that really called to me as being something I really felt like I wanted to be watching. That's kind of my opinion of it. So on the bright side, I thought James McAvoy, in terms of, like, tool sets and adeptness, mm -hmm might be one of the best hosts we've had in quite some time. I mean, can we talk about the million accents that this Scottish man adopted? And the fact of the matter is, he was also in a lot of sketches. And you can tell, especially for a first-time host, that is like a telltale of the fact that production, the writers, really trusted him. And I thought he was so game for everything, even to don his costume from the Chronicles of Narnia that he wore about 15 years ago plus for this one sketch. But the issue for me was there were a few sketches, especially in the first half, that were really fun ideas, but were either muddled or didn't necessarily take off from their initial beat. And then it got followed up by a second half of what was essentially a rerun. And I, I definitely want to address that at first, because uh, I think starting off the year, it's been really interesting that we have seen a lot of sketches sort of get redone and repurposed uh even ones that, that you know are coming from only a few episodes ago but the second half of this episode in particular felt like we were repeating a lot of things and some of them might be have been for the slightly better and some of them might have been for the much worse so looking at my list of 11 uh, i put james poor james mcavoy is uh making up the bottom tier second from the bottom uh only ahead of the steve carell episode which was pretty maligned across the internet on the other hand on the bright side of things, I thought the Rachel Brosnahan episode was pretty good. And honestly, in SNL season 44, 
pretty good is like a top three, top four slot. And that's pretty much where she fell here with me. I put her at number four behind Leah Schreiber, Matt Damon, and Seth Meyers. I thought I actually liked the episode after it. It had a, a good first half, but the sketches in the first half of this one really resounded with me for some reason. I'm sure we'll get into it. And the second half was, you know, things fell apart a bit more, but I, I just felt like it was a a strong outing. I thought Rachel Brosnahan, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and I thought she was also a very game host and really just slipped in with the rest of the cast, did not stick out like a sore thumb and felt like she was being used well. So, I mean, we have one episode that I really enjoyed and one episode, or I guess one episode that I enjoyed pretty well and then one episode that I did not enjoy very well. So there, there's a lot to talk about no matter what. what. What did you have to think about uh, our first January episode? That was impressive, an impressive one long run on sentence. So congratulations, Mike. I'm a, I'm a trendsetter. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, going back to McAvoy that, yeah, I agree with you. I thought he was tremendously talented. I don't know him all that well, but he came out there. And like you said, he was in all, I think every sketch just about, and in every one, he had a very distinct, very well done accent. And so that's my one big takeaway from that. Like this guy's really talented. Like this guy <laughs> should be doing really good drama stuff in the future. He's incredible what he can pull off audibly with his voice. Most people can't do that stuff. That being said, I don't know if he was necessarily a great SNL host because I don't think he was that funny. So it's one of these things, like, I, I don't know if he was really a great fit for SNL. And so I think you and I would disagree if he was a great host or not. I think he was, he did a fantastic job was what, what he was asked to do, but I don't know if he really added anything to many, many of the sketches, maybe the air traffic controller. Like I can't picture anybody else doing that sketch, but him, but a lot of the other ones, like I thought it's, it's impressive what he's doing, but that doesn't make the sketch any better. That's, I don't know if that's the right way to say it. Mm, I mean, I think that I thought if you look at a sketch like Mr. H, for example, like mm-hmm. it was very well acted, but it wasn't necessarily funny. Mm-hmm. that and like i think he performed very well but whether from a writing perspective or just a production perspective the sketches themselves were not hysterical i think by far his strongest sketch was the Charmin sketch because that was the basically the only time he was able to be the crazy man in the crazy man straight man relationship that basically makes up every comedy scene and it makes sense that that was the strongest was because he sort of brought his uh acting weight into a role that really had some meaty lines there but everywhere mm-hmm. else you know Outside of him going crazy as the German bread maker in Leslie's rap, uh, there was not a lot of meat on the bone when it came to stuff he had to work with. Yeah. And again, that's not his fault. I mean, a person on SNL is only as good as their writers. And if they can't, don't give him anything that's really worth doing, what's he going to do? So I, I, even though I don't, didn't like the McAvoy episode, I would not hold that against him. I think he did a great job for what he was being asked to do. So I, I have no complaints with McAvoy. I thought he was really talented. Um, and you said the Mr. H sketch, um, you know, it might sound like we're griping saying it's not funny, but like a lot of the best SNL things aren't funny. Sometimes they're poignant. Sometimes they're just interesting. Uh, just one off the top of my head is that sad mouse with Bruno Mars. Mm. Like, I don't think that was necessarily an especially funny sketch, but everyone seemed to love it and it was so well done. So yeah, the Mr. H was probably my favorite thing in the episode. I thought it was a good idea, but like you said, it just didn't really pop as well. Like where you think SNL sometimes goes with these things where it's something that's super memorable. Like it was kind of cute and it was a neat idea, but it was like it was like 80% of where I think it could have gone. I think that I think you'd probably that's what basically you were saying as well. Yeah. And I would say, you know, I don't want to take John and Steve's mantle here, but I would say if I would assign an MVP, speaking of Mr. H, Mm -hmm. for all that we might be sort of griping with this episode, this was Chris Red's episode, in my opinion, between the Mr. H thing, between the Soldier Boy appearance on Weekend Update, which you can say whether or not it was an accurate characterization, but I thought it made for a really fun runner and he had a lot of great energy to it. And you can say whether or not his uh, his Goonie Boys uh, dog rap was actually good, but he made an appearance there. So, I mean, again, this is a, one of those episodes where, like we talked about with Heidi in the beginning of the season, like a featured player is really making their mark. And this happened to be a good uh, good week for Chris Red. Yeah, it's again, I'm not the biggest Chris Red fan, but I don't dislike him either. But yeah, I thought that was it was a very strong episode for him. And this is it's kind of a backhanded praise here. Like some of the stuff that really worked in this episode, I think it's about as good as this cast and writing team and production team can pull off right now and unfortunately that's a, that's not a very nice good thing to say like it was it was a success it worked out like they were like they were trying to do people got a spotlight but it's really not it's not a plus snl material so that's kind of my beef with this whole season as a whole like yeah you know it was pretty good for what they were trying to do but it's it's kind of like sad to me that's almost that's the best they're gonna do like that's i think that's about the peak of what this era of snl can do right now without some changes so that's i don't know that's 
I don't have a whole lot to say about this Ab McAvoy episode. Like you said, the, the Brosnahan to me was way more interesting an episode. There was a lot going on in that one. And then last night it was really just McAvoy doing all these accents in a bunch of uninspired sketches. And I will also further say one thing, like you like the Charmin sketch. To me, the Charmin sketch was just the Barbie sketch from the week before. Like it was almost the exact same thing. I remember I'm like, didn't we just see the sketch? It's like a focus group and it's just a bunch of idiots that don't get it. Like it's the exact same premises. As the night as the week before. So I was not as high on the Charmin one. And I think a lot of your enjoyment of McAvoy will depend how high are you on the Mr. H and the Charmin and the Leslie rap and then the Goonie, the uh, dog and bunny rap at the end. I wasn't super high on any four, any one of those four. So it didn't really do it for me. But I've seen other people that were really high on those four and they really liked the episode. Yeah, those four are definitely like the keystone, I think, when it comes to your enjoyment of the episode. But I guess mm-hmm. m- moving over to the other side, uh, you said you, there were a lot of interesting things about the Brosnahan episode. We'll obviously get into more specifics, but what were your thoughts on it overall, especially in comparison to uh, what we were just talking about? Yeah, I liked the Brosnahan episode and I don't rank the episodes like you do. I know you try to include them all. I started to do that at the start of the season and then I just realized it's going to break down to ones that I liked and ones that I didn't like. And so there's four out of the 11 that I thought were good episodes this year and I would put the Brosnahan one in there. And I originally thought it might be like my third and the four that I like are the, the uh, let's see, the Leave Schreiber, the Matt Damon, the Seth Meyers, and then the Brosnan. Those are the four that I think were strong. And the Mount Rushmore of season 44. <laughs> yes, I know. It's a very weak Mount Rushmore. It's like if Taft was on the, <laughs> the uh, U.S. <laughs> Hall of Mount Rushmore. But yeah, uh, so the Brosnan one I thought might have been my third, but I watched it again and I'm like, okay, it's pretty good, but it's not as good as the Seth Meyers one. The Meyers one I think is very underrated and people kind of forget about that one. So the Meyers one I'd still put in my top three, but I put that as my fourth and I just thought it was fun and Especially, I want to talk about Millennial Millions, which was such a biting, sharp satire that it's like, wow, I'm not really used to seeing some of those things on SNL these days. That was a that was a special sketch. That's what I would say. That's one people are going to remember. Before we get to that, I do want to touch upon a trend that I saw between these two episodes, because I do think that, again, our sense of quality might have wavered a bit between the two. But as I <laughs> mentioned before, I think it's very interesting that SNL decided to come back to 2019 and they start off by repeating a good amount of sketches which look i i'm not going to you know negate them too much for this because they're doing this really arduous job of making a comedy show every week especially if you know the schedule that snl puts out there it's it's a tough task we can understand why they want to trot out material in the brosnahan's uh episode we obviously saw the barbie instagram uh sketch to finish things off which was pretty much taken from the donald glover episode including you know basically all the same actors minus the guest host some could argue that the uh, the name change earthquake sketch that started off the episode is a copy of all the other Mikey Day Streeter Seidel sketches about, you know, the man on the street things where the, you know, the uh, production essentially gets the lower third wrong and uh, it makes a whole kerfuffle happen on social media. I personally feel like maybe while the skeleton is there, the body's completely different, uh, just because <laughs> it focus it focused on something completely different. But I think that the James McAvoy episode, I mean, you had the Nolan's vacation, which is similar to the Cuba sketch from the Seth Meyers episode. Uh, you had the you had um, the Goonie Tune stuff. We talked about that before with the I Love My Dog. We've seen them do countless things in the previous uh, few episodes this season. But I mean, I think the the biggest thing against this episode was the Brothers Part Two sketch. And I know that was your favorite sketch from the Liev Schreiber episode, but. I mean, we'll get into it. They just completely did this a disservice. So I just want to throw this question to you. Do you think there's a reason why these two episodes, particularly the McAvoy episode, utilized reusing sketches so much, especially to start off a new year after, you know, almost a month off? I don't think there was any grand thought process behind it, but there is one thing that I remember reading, and it was, the, I think, the Live from New York book. Have you read that, the oral oh, yeah. history of us? I, yeah. I mean, I haven't. I, I read it, I think, back in like 2013, 2014, and I think they updated it after that. They put like an appendix, appendix to it. But yeah, I've, mm-hmm. I've, uh, I've read that delightful tome a couple of times. <laughs> one thing that I always remember taking from that book, and this is a very important lesson to anybody who you know, knows the history of SNL or wants to learn more about the history of SNL. And I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only person who would bring this up, but it's a good thing to just remember that audiences want recurring characters. And as much as Mike and I are going to bitch about it, that it's not really admirable or noble to just do the same <laughs> or same stuff over and over. <laughs> um, 
that's what the audience wants. And that's this is something that comes up in live from New York over and over that writers hate doing that. They hate doing the exact same thing and just plugging in the same jokes. But that's what the audience wants to have. So it's always kind of a balancing act between what the audience wants and what the writers want. And that sometimes SNL just gives into that. The audience wants the same stuff over and over. They can do their little catchphrases. They can keep their repeating things. And again, this is one of my least favorite eras of SNL was like the later couple of years of the Tina Fey era right into the Kristen Wiig era. And I just I can never, could never stand that era because all it was was repeating recurring characters with catchphrases and just the exact same template of a sketch over and over. Like watch a Gilly sketch sometime. There's no variance in those whatsoever. And they'd even laugh about it behind the scenes, how it was the same sketch and the audience would eat it up and they just do it again. So that's what the audience wants. So I don't think there was any great grand process behind this episode other than maybe they just didn't have a whole lot of ideas like maybe they were kind of burnt out or it's just something wasn't working and they couldn't write for mcavoy and when that happens you just give the audience what they want spoon feed them some sugar they want the same stuff over and over let's just do stuff again so that's my hunch of what happened they just kind of give in to what the audience is asking for there mm, interesting because i i don't know i mean i i guess the I don't know, did the Cuba sketch really go over that well the first time that they thought to bring? Maybe that was more of like a Californians thing where like the cast had a lot of fun doing yeah. it and playing these ridiculous characters that they thought they'd bring McAvoy in. I mean, I, I don't want to keep fixating on the brothers, but I mean, I loved it so much and it was just oh. such a fall, far fall from grace. And I think that's probably the biggest indicator of the point that you're making where Sometimes, I mean, the two a-holes is an example where the two a-holes recurring bit was they put them literally in a bunch of different locations. Here, mm -hmm. they used the exact same set, <laughs> the exact same cast members, but except adding a couple onto it uh, and replacing Liev Schreiber with James McAvoy. They used the exact same characters, the exact same structure of the sketch, the exact same jokes. Mm -hmm. It was it was a marvel to behold just in, yeah. in, in with the pure mimicry that was occurring between this and what we saw like three months ago. Yeah. Kristen Wiig might as well have been in that sketch. That's exactly what it was. It was the same thing. And, and what's funny is that original, I think that original might be the funniest sketch of the season. And you can make an argument for a lot of ones this season. There's a lot of good stuff, but that brothers thing I've watched about 10, 15 times now, just cause I love it. And I admire so much the timing of it and just the jokes and the reactions and the fact that Cecily can't keep a straight face and 80 can't keep a straight face. And you watch the original with the one last night, and they are beat for beat, almost the exact same sketch, except for the timing and the blocking was all off on the second time. It just felt like a mess. And it's just, it's such a, it's such a, you know, an example of how important timing is to comedy. The beats have to be just right for all the par parts of the sketch to work. And again, watch them back to back. The one last night with McAvoy just was off. The timing was off. They were cut into the wrong character. People were talking too soon. Uh, McAvoy would spray the kids before he was supposed to. It just Everything was off just a little bit. And it's just such a great example of how timing can make the biggest difference in comedy. And of course, this goes back to the bigger point I'm trying to make, that clearly the glue in SNL is Liev Schreiber. Like you take him out of a sketch, the show falls apart. Yeah, I mean, uh, he might have been the unsung hero that we didn't know we needed until just now. <laughs> Again, not to say that McAvoy wasn't game, but uh, Liev Schreiber filled a role that not a lot of people can do, apparently. Uh, well, yeah. let, let's talk about something that finished off the first episode. I know from what I remember from our SNL Funhouse days, you were not as big of a fan of the Barbie Instagram sketch from the Donald Glover episode as Wait. I was. Wait, I love that one. I, I mean, don't know. I, th I thought you. No, maybe I'm thinking about somebody else. I, I. Okay, now I'm glad that we were on the same page about yeah, that. Yeah, you're thinking of Cardi B. I hated Cardi B. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. I often mix up Barbie and Cardi B. It's yes, very similar exactly. sounding. But I loved it last time. What did you think about it this time around with uh, the Ken interpretation? I really liked it, and you know, I, I, I'm, this is going to be a bit of blasphemy here. I'm going to say this that I kind of thought the weakest part of both episodes of both the McAvoy and the Brosnahan was Heidi Gardner. And I hate to say that, but like that sketch really worked well, the Barbie one, but I don't think her part added much to it. I think it was all, I can't believe that Pete stole a sketch that Heidi was in, but Pete kind of did. It was all Pete and Rachel Brosnahan that I think stole that one. I really liked it. I love the timing of the jokes. I love how dark it went. Although there's, there's a, a point I want to make about that sketch in particular. I'm going to save it for a little bit about the Brosnahan episode, but yeah. So in general, I really liked it and I thought it ended the episode strong. Yeah. I, 
I like the Donald Glover version a bit better. I think that Heidi was better in the first one, particularly her line, uh, uh, it's almost not night anymore, which is just such a classic. I think that, unfortunately, a bit of diminishing returns with her and the Pete character this time around. And what I really loved about the first one was, I don't know if you remember this, I ended up rewatching the first one after the Rachel Brosnahan episode, but... Uh, you know, the Brazahan character is very fixated on the secrecy of what Barbie has hidden under the hot tub. Donald okay. Glover's last one goes onto this whole existential tear of like, uh, a girl approached me in the store and said, you're just a toy, Barbie. What did she mean? And just it completely goes in a completely different direction. I feel like this iteration was missing that just a tiny bit. And maybe that was what made it pale in comparison. But I still think it's a fun sketch. And I think it really does a good job of, you know, I'm always happy when the hose gets to play the weird one. And even though Heidi and Pete are also weird characters, it feels like Brazahan got an opportunity to sort of flex her muscles here. And I thought she did a good job with it. Yeah, no, I I got no complaints with that Barbie one. I thought it was strong. And I'm going to get into my bigger point here. I don't want to hijack where you were going with this, but. To me, there was a very fine line, or not a fine line, a very obvious delineation between the Brosnahan episode and the McAvoy episode. And I'm not, I haven't really seen anybody else mention this. So I want to say this. The Brosnahan episode, why I think almost everything in that episode worked is because Keenan was the star of almost every episode and he saved almost every sketch. Mm. And then watch the McAvoy episode and he doesn't do that. They didn't let Keenan pop in there and like save every sketch. And it's such a big difference in this current cast when they let him do that. Mm. And that was the one, the one thing I noticed with the, with the Brosnahan sketch after it aired. That's what I went on to Twitter and said, I'm like, well, you know, Keenan's sitcom was just picked up by whatever network. And it looks like he's probably going to be leaving the show. And I'm like, I think this end of the season is going to be a victory lap for Keenan. They're just going to let him take over every sketch and just be the funny guy and just save it at the end because that's what he does. And that's what the Brosnahan episode is. If you look at the sketches one by one, it's almost everyone. Keenan saves a sketch. Keenan saves it. Keenan saves it. Keenan saves it. And then in the McAvoy one, I was expecting that again because, again, I'm looking for this victory lap of Keenan. And they didn't do it. They didn't have Keenan save the sketches and they just kind of fall flat. So, again, just a little more of this my argument how important Keenan Thompson is to the show. In the Brosnahan, I think he's the clear MVP and they pulled him back in the McAvoy episode and look what happens. Yeah, I mean, look firsthand at uh, the Tabitha sketch from the Brosnahan mm-hmm. episode where I think it was a pretty weak premise overall. Like, I think it was fine, but it didn't really go anywhere except for Cecily at the very end when they take it to a 10 with Is This Your Secret Family? But Keenan definitely made that sketch better with just his facial reactions as he usually does. I will also say... He's looking pretty damn good. Uh, I don't know if he'll slim down or something to, uh, you know, for for his sitcom. But I noticed a significant change of figure when he's wearing all those suits and those sketches. Yeah, no, I agree. He's clearly his agent or his team is making sure he looks good for his sitcom because he does. Yeah, he's a whole different Keenan than we saw, you know, five, ten years ago. But yeah, the the uh, Leslie Jones Tabitha one Keenan kind of saves and the Barbie one. I want to get back to that one. All the, you know, the Brosnahan and the Heidi and the Pete comments are funny, but it's really Keenan trying to not get angry in his little, you know, foppish, almost gay character. Like, that's just a, a great Keenan shot. It's just a great Keenan showcase. You don't even notice he's the glue of that sketch. So it's just, I just want to point that out to people. Just pay attention and appreciate Keenan the rest of the season and watch how often he can do that. He saves the sketch without you even realizing it. I want to go back to this earthquake name change sketch. Do you feel like it's recurring or do you feel like it lives outside of what people are comparing it to? Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, it's really like you brought it up. It's it's kind of a recurring character. They do the news and the captions are wrong. And it's all embarrassing. They did what the uh, the, the incest brothers yeah, a couple the incest weeks brothers. ago. They yeah. did the the uh, zoo pornographer um, yeah. Mark Schatz, I think. Yeah, it's like a style parody. And I'll go into one of my other favorite idols, Weird Al Yankovic. Like Weird Al does parodies that are deliberate parodies of specific songs. But a lot of times he does style parodies, like in the style of Devo, in the style of, you know, the artists he likes. So it's it's like I would say this uh, this name change isn't a direct you know, recurring sketch. It's really just a Mikey Day. And I'm assuming uh, the other his buddy, his writing partner, I'm assuming they wrote that one. It's like it's their style. So I don't think it's recurring. It's just those are the types of sketches they do. Yeah, and I I really enjoyed it. It was sophomoric. It was stupid. What? But I mean, as I talked about, it's it's like I love stupid humor. I mean, this is basically like Bart Simpson's dream come true. Not to be confused when Mikey did play a kid that looks like Bart Simpson uh, during an <laughs> SNL episode. But considering that the entire sketch was basically about a bunch of punny 
uh, you know, salacious sounding names. Uh, I, I, I thought it was, I thought it flowed well. I really liked the ending of uh, the reveal of Carol Come Dungeon. Uh, just because I'm always, I always give a thumbs up to a sketch that has an actual ending when it comes to SNL, just because I know it's, it's a tough thing to do. Uh, but it at least kept my attention. I think it was like five minutes long, but it did not feel like that just because they kept throwing out all these ridiculous names that I think buoyed my attention. How dare you say that Holden Two Dicks is sophomoric? Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm, you know, we love Holden Two Dicks as much as his parents do. Yes, and and a big shout out to uh, Julie Nagar. I'm going to say it very carefully. Yes, exactly. And Donna did a dog. I was going to say Dr. Donna did a dog is not going to be happy about that. She's going to at you on Twitter. No, I love that one. Again, it was just stupid, but they went with it and it just carried through. And it's kind of like, again, we bring this up, the Will Forte school of comedy where it's funny and then it's not. And then it kind of comes back and becomes funny again if they just keep going with it. So Ivan Jerkinov, one of my favorites. Yeah, that no, I, I mean, there, there's nothing really admirable or world changing about that sketch, but it was just funny. It was just a silly, funny sketch that I think almost anyone would appreciate. I think my favorite part actually might have been uh, when Beck plays Alan Hitler and he says, no, if you could just uh, give an initial and <laughs> substitute to a Hitler, that was like that might have been the biggest taste of the sketch that we're used to. That's the most comparable to this. Uh, but I thought it was a nice I think they kept it. Varied, but even when they cut back to Brosnahan and Pete and AD as uh, the EMT workers, the uh, the shot of Pete walking behind them and clapping in the background, I, I think that that made the sketch for me. Yeah, although did you catch the the bigger picture there that Pete is playing a firefighter and his dad, of course, was a firefighter mm. who died. So it was kind of a neat little moment. And just to uh, finish off my my sense of reverence and respect, shout out to Keith Queef. <laughs> yes, he came in. Um, we didn't even expect him, but he proved to be quite a delight. Uh, I'm going to jump to another recurring sketch here. Definitely more of a through line between its original iteration. I gotta admit here, even though I like this episode less than the Seth Meyers one, I like New Orleans Vacation more than the, the Cuba one. Um, well, I didn't really like either one, so it's like I, I just that's just one. I love Heidi. I'm always talking about how amazing she is, but I just didn't like that Cuba one. I didn't like the New Orleans one. I appreciate where they're trying to go with it. And again, McAvoy had the great accent, but man, did that one feel unnecessary to me. Yeah, I, I thought that, I don't know, maybe it was the energy behind it. I mean, this also gave McAvoy the giggles, if you watch it. Uh, especially, he try, he squeaks out authentic New Orleans magic, baby, before he just breaks down into hysterics. I think it was just the way that Heidi was moving, or uh, when, <laughs> when Keenan was incredulous about one nipple sticking up and straight into the air with the uh, magic woman that they followed. I don't know, I think uh, this one at least told more of a story. I really can't remember if they talk about like a story from the Kuba one that's comparable to them mystifying this idea of a essentially getting mugged in the, in the streets of New Orleans. And I thought it at least added a wrinkle in that you actually had someone in Keenan who grew up in New Orleans there, where it was a bit lampshady to have some keep coming back to Keenan and him being, no, it's not like that. But I felt it at least was more solid than the first time around. And maybe that's the reason why they wanted to do it again. They wanted a second attempt at it. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought it, I thought it was one of those rare recurring sketches where it actually improved the second time around. Yeah, unfortunately, I kind of checked out of the episode by then. That was the last sketch. So mm-hmm. perhaps I did not give it the full attention that I need to. But I'll, I'll go back and watch it per the Mike Bloom recommendation there. We'll, we'll see. Maybe I'll change my mind on that one. What about I Love My Dog? Again, it's not exactly recurring, but I think you actually made a good point about the Weird Al, like in the style of things. This is essentially what Goonie Tunes has been doing the entire time. I think mm-hmm. uh, when we spoke about them a couple months ago, we had read an article from The Atlantic, I believe, that talked about, you know, are there too many of these? It seems like they took a break and they came back here. And I'll use an adage from our old friend Rob Cesarino. Uh, I love my dog more fun than funny, in my opinion. <laughs> even even as a dog lover, uh, I thought that this had a fun idea to it, but there wasn't exactly anything that had me, you know, actually laughing. Which is what we said before, is I think that there are some fun production elements and energy behind these things. But for me, at least, the jokes haven't been landing as of late. Yeah, see, I have a question here. Maybe, I don't know if you're the right person to answer this, but are these Goonie Tunes songs hits? Are they super popular and I'm just not aware of it? I don't necessarily think so. I mean, I'm looking at, like, the the YouTube views, and I would say that if you compare it to the some of the other sketches, I Love My Dog uh, might be, outside of the musical guest, the least watched sketch from last night as of, as of today. Okay, because obviously in that that article we read that they were they were comparing it to Lonely Island and saying, you know, we've already done the Lonely Island. You're not going to be able to replicate it again and they should stop trying. But so that's my question. Are these things like super popular among the younger viewers? And I'm just not aware of it because I am right there with you that most of these don't really land with me. Like Chris Redd and Pete Davidson, neither one really hits my comedy 
I don't want to say G spot, but they don't they don't really hit my sweet spot on the comedy radar most of the time. And this is one in particular. Like, yeah, it was kind of cute, and I liked it, and I liked the bunny, you know, twist at the end. But it, again, when you grow up watching SNL and going through like Lonely Island, which every one of those was like the biggest thing on YouTube for a week, like. They seem very underwhelming to me, all these Goonie Tunes songs. Yeah, shout out to Egon Wadham, uh, getting her, her reel filled out uh, with her yeah. little bunny interlude. Actually, she appeared in Mr. H as well, so she actually yeah. got, she got some screen time here. But yeah, I mean, from what I can survey, I think people are fine with it. From what, we, from what I recall us talking, I believe the stuff that they did in the, early on in this season was actually parodies of actual rap songs. I can't tell if I Love My Dog was a direct parody of something. Mm-hmm. Maybe, maybe they thought they had more creative liberty from that perspective, but yeah, from what I recall, I mean, especially Lonely Island, especially in the beginning, was super popular, and maybe there were some diminishing returns concerning the number of digital shorts that they did. I, I don't think these are catching like wildfire, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I could be wrong. These could be the big draw for the younger generation of SNL, which I am not a member of, clearly. I'm 44. I don't really get Pete Davidson. So maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these are like the big draw. People tune in in huge numbers to see Pete Davidson and do all these the rap parodies and stuff. But yeah, I just, they don't, they're not really on my radar. Like they're not great. They're not bad. They're just there to me. Like, okay, we're doing another Chris Red, uh, in, uh, Pete Davidson rap this week. And that's, that's really what I think of them. Okay, well, we got to do this, but they never really register with me as being a major part of the show. Right. Well, let's talk about another connector between these two episodes, at least as we get more into the episodes in general. Do you have any opinions about the two cold opens that we utilized here? Our first one brought back our Baldwin Trump, but albeit he's not in the White House, he is on deal or no deal in an attempt to end the government shutdown. This week, I believe for the first time in quite some time, I can't remember a Tucker Carlson uh, impression, at least in the past like seven, eight years or so uh that's the fox news show that we're utilizing this week any thoughts about these two cold opens i mean not really it's the same stuff we always say that you know they took trump and it's the same stuff but at least they they put him in a new setting and i'll always give him credit for that at least they put him in the deal or no deal although i don't know why steve harvey had to be there but okay but uh yeah but uh yeah so at least they did something different with it but for the most part i've really just resigned myself to snl just basically throws away the first 15 minutes of every episode and i just don't i'm not going to care about it it's like it's just the same old stuff and you know they have to take their digs at trump and the audience will applaud and they'll get their you know their hits and on Voy and talk about how they stuck it to trump and it's all exciting but to me it's really they just punt the first 15 episodes of an of snl on a some political commentary and okay go whatever you have to do and then really i started to get interested in the show around the monologue that's really where where i've come at this point on the on these episodes yeah, I totally am going to co-opt your comment about them doing something new with the deal or no deal cold open mm-hmm. because I'm just so happy that they took Trump himself and put him in a different setting. And I thought it was yeah. a fun, unique way to do it. And considering that, you know, Trump himself was a game show host, it was a fun setting to do it. I think it was a good way to, if you want to make this more of an ensemble piece and have people tout out their impressions, that's a good way to do it. It had an interesting through line throughout. I agree. I don't know why Steve Harvey was there. Maybe that's subscribing <laughs> to your Keenan theory, or maybe they didn't want Kyle Mooney to play Howie Mandel like he did in the America's Got Talent parody uh, a few weeks ago. But I thought it was a good cold open. It at least you know provided some new material as a good way to welcome things back. The Tucker Carlson one was, it's one of our typical SNL fairs, right? It's a new show where we go between several different segments. I've always enjoyed Cecily Strong as Janine Pirro just because it's a well-done character. I thought Alex was fine. Sucker Carlson, I'm, I'm not a fan of what John has referred to beforehand with these cold opens as like, uh, I, as a political figure, I do specific uh, vocal yeah. and physical mannerisms. I'm going to describe to you what they're going to be before I actually do them. It, it feels like a little over explainy. So I wasn't a big fan of when he's like, and I'm going to look at you like a dog looks at himself in the mirror. It, it mm-hmm. felt like it was, you know, telling the punchline before the joke. As, as odd as that was so i like the first one more than the second one do you have any thoughts about uh you know we, it's it can't be an snl cold open if we don't have at least once in a while have a celebrity appear as a real life political figure any thoughts about a steve martin drop in as roger stone i mean i love steve martin and i love what he has done for snl history over year over the years but i will be very blunt here when is the last time he's done anything that was really especially funny on snl like yeah. <laughs> was that a big draw really like i hear them you know i, I see like on the news like uh like uh, on Google, I was just looking at like Steve Martin kills it on SNL cold opening. I'm like, did he really kill it? Like, is that really how I'd phrase that? To me, it was like, okay, well, we got stunt casting and I guess Lauren has Steve in town. We can throw him out there. But like, was there anything about his appearance you even remember? No, I mean, I think he was sort of Steve Martin behaving like I don't think he was necessarily embodying that 
big of a character. I think that Steve Martin is a naturally funny person, so I think he brought some charm to it, but I think it was good. It didn't necessarily out. I mean, I think it's still a high water mark to beat Melissa McCarthy as Sean Spicer. I still think that is the the bar to clear when it comes to these random celebrities appearing as political figures. So it obviously mm-hmm. won't measure up to that. But I mean, look, it's it's better than De Niro as Mueller. So I think we we can only go up from there. <laughs> small small pyrrhic victories in life. That's all we need. Exactly. I, one more recurring thing that I forgot to talk about: we get our requisite Bachelor sketch in the McAvoy episode in lieu of the new Bachelor season with virgin hunk i can't remember if you're a fan of these as i know you're not uh, a watcher of the bachelor franchise in general did you have any thoughts about this iteration of it um my thoughts on this i I, it's not one of those sketches that i don't like but it's not one that i really love either it's always just been you know a cast a a chance for the female cast to kind of show off their stuff they just will rotate and do little little shtick and little bits and this one there was some funny stuff like it's not something a sketch i'm going to remember or be talking about a year from now but like there were some funny things in there like uh uh, Kate with uh, deep throating the banana. That was the one that made me laugh. One of my favorite moments in the episode. And then there was the one with uh, what else was there? You know, Ego saying that she had short hair and she's black. Another another one of her appearances. She had another one in the episode. You forgot to mention that was by far my favorite part because I feel like unlike the other hunk appearances, which is sort of like insert weird but funny specific fact here. This is actually sort of like. And a twist of the knife at the actual franchise where she says, uh, well, hi, you know, you probably don't know my name, but I'm black and I have short hair, so I'm just going to go. Uh, so basically, it's implying if you watch those shows, you sort of know that there's unfortunately a type that goes early on those shows. And I feel like that was like the rare commentary about it, like the fourth or fifth time that they've done this. These are mm-hmm. always enjoyable to me just because, again, comedy is in the, the, the specifics and I love how specific all these get but it's it's been fine it keeps being fine i I don't think and luckily we're not revisiting it where it just ends up being huge diminishing returns i think this is the first time we've done it in about a year uh so i'm happy with the the number of recurrences yeah it's again it's not something that i hated it was fine it was one of the funnier things in the episode i will point out a little nitpick here and this is kind of mean i shouldn't say this but you know i try to give stuff that people will pay attention to but Melissa should not be doing sketches where it's all the female cast rotating in and out and doing little character shtick because you see her next to Kate and Cecily and AD and Heidi and Melissa always her stuff will always pale next to theirs. It's just not as funny because she's not really a stage actress like they are. So that's why it's 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 always kind of jumps out at me. The other ones have these fully formed characters with little ticks and stuff. And then Melissa's it's like, well, she's there, too. So I always kind of feel bad when they do that to her. Mm. Well, let, let's get into the Brosnahan episode. And I guess we can just sort of like dart around here and talk about things that we liked or didn't necessarily not like. Uh, I want to start with, with the Millennial Millions because I tweeted this out. I don't know if this is a hot take. This might be the best game show parody sketch they've done since Black Jeopardy. Don't at mm-hmm. me. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree with that at all. That was surprisingly biting, surprisingly biting towards both Millennials and Boomers. And just like I, I think what I tweeted as well, the SNL writers were just dicks on that one. And they don't do that. Like that was just kind of mean spirited towards everyone. And like because I, I have a daughter who's complained about this. And I, I'm assuming you're a millennial as well, that mm. that's that's very common gripes that, you know, the boomers have ruined the world and there's no jobs and there's no money and we're not going to get 401k and they ruin the environment like that's. Everything that was in that sketch was very realistic to what I've heard people say. It was really funny to see it, you know pointed out in a sketch that there really is a lot of anger between these two generations and what was funny is the sketch you know pointed that out like oh wow they're going after the boomers and then keenan started taking digs at the millennials and i'm like wow snl is really like biting the hand that feeds it here talking about you know millennial snit go off and find a safe space go tweet about it that'll solve everything like like wow that and as a Gen Xer, of course, I loved it because I have no dog yeah. in this race. You're the, you're the referee at wrestlemania yeah <laughs> yeah but I, oh man did i love that and just a Keenan showcase. I mean, I've watched that sketch like five or six times now just because I want to watch Keenan. And again, it's just him reacting to everything that happens that makes it funnier. But yeah, that was just a solid sketch that that could even make an argument for the best sketch of the season, in my opinion. Yeah, you know, there's there was there was some little things I don't I don't think 80s song needed to be there. But yeah, it was just that was a really solid sketch that will play in any era. Like when they rerun this episode, 
10, 15 years from now, that sketch will be the one people remember. Or they just replace millennials with Gen Z then and make the millennials. <laughs> yeah. It all just, it's like the circle of life. Uh, I, I see your point on 80 song, but I almost feel like with dad Christmas, it stuck out like a sore thumb, but it added comedy to it. Like I, yeah. they talked about this on the podcast. I love the fact that it did provide this exposition. It was like a, it was a very blunt song, you know, like, uh, then they all had a bunch of babies and they all went to college and they took all the jobs and they did all the drugs and they won't ever die. Like it's, it was super quick. <laughs> And really, it was a weird way to start a game show with a song, but it ended up doing its job for like those of you that don't necessarily know the generational differences. Yeah. For all the digs that I think SNL has taken in the Trump era of not, you know, uh, you know, firing shots at both sides of the aisle, they really did that here. It's it's super interesting, a kind of a mixed message, but I, I love that, you know, that it's not necessarily taken yeah. from this. I mean, it's definitely an anti-boomer perspective, but definitely taking some shots at millennials as well through Keenan's character, which I think varied things up. It was really an equal opportunity offender, even for Gen X's, basically talking about how complacent they are to these two generations going back and forth. I thought Pete was obviously the best representation of this, being the youngest person. I thought Rachel did a good job. I like the intros to these characters about how just desperate situations they're in. Uh, Rachel is working at Google and is desperate for healthcare. And Pete (laughs) has a master's at NYU and uh, now is an intern at a Burger King restaurant. Uh, And then, but it also like took shots at these characters too, where like they couldn't help but listen to these boomers talk for 30 seconds without interrupting them. I feel like, well, it does make fun of the boomers with just sort of how much they have their heads in the sand about the state of the world. The fact that they can't interrupt either is a fun shot. Like all the, they're all flawed characters, but that makes it so enthralling to watch as well and it was short you know we did get this little weird tease at the end where the final round is with uh rachel brosnahan's dad and we get a little tease of that but i feel like it did not overstay its welcome like some other game show sketches so i thought it was strong premise strong performances extremely strong writing i I was completely here for it yeah and it's like every sketch on snl when i'm really invested in it i always try to think okay what tweaks they could have made to make it better or what worked and what would have made it worse if they hadn't done I can think of almost nothing in that sketch that would have made it better, which is the highest compliment I can give to an SNL sketch. Like, I can't think of a single tweak that would have made that a tighter sketch. It just really worked, and like it wasn't soft. And those were, again, real, realistic, authentic complaints that people have towards boomers that I hear that all the time. Like, most of my readers are millennials. So I, I, I've heard this all the time. There's a lot of anger towards this boomer generation. So it was just so interesting to actually see it played out in a sketch. And then SNL just at the same time taking digs at millennials like she doesn't like having her worldview challenged. Like, wow, like they, that is so not typical of what SNL does. So, again, just highest praise possible for to whoever was involved in that sketch. It was just so fantastic. My other highlight, big highlight from the Brosnahan episode has to be the double act of Pete Davidson and John Mulaney. Uh, first, you know, with with the personal scares in Pete Davidson's life last month, I'm happy to see him come back and also make jokes about it in true Pete Davidson fashion. But for those of you that don't know, uh, Davidson and Mulaney have been on tour together lately. And from what I hear, they actually had been building out this bit together. I had a, a friend who went to one of their shows on tour here in New Jersey and uh, actually like was witness to them sort of workshopping the bit on stage that night. So something that they had been working on together I love John Mulaney with all my heart, so I'd love to see him come back onto SNL in any way. And, I mean, this was just a delight to watch. It was so random and weird and particular, but that's the way that Mulaney works. And I feel like him and Pete work so well together here. What, what did you think about The Mule? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was a great bit. And, like, most of it was Mulaney, but Pete, you know, held his own as well. Again, I'm just not the biggest fan of Pete's personal life being dragged onto the show each week. I don't know if that's really the, the best use of the show or of his life. But yeah, I thought that worked really well. And clearly that was a big highlight. That was that was the moment I think almost everybody was talking about on the internet the next day was the Melania and Pete Davidson thing. So yeah, that was a big highlight. It wasn't my favorite part of the show, but I can see why that was a lot of people's favorite part. That It, it had a good energy to it. It was a nice back and forth. And again, like we say, there aren't a lot of moments in this era where the characters play off one another if we don't get that through the characters at least we can get that through the commentaries at least you have two people that you know davidson and mulaney just you know finishing each other's sentences and stuff playing off each other so it was it was a fun bit of energy in the middle of the show and i think by far the funniest part where it really went from like a uh, you know like a, a chuckle along thing to like a oh my god this is hilarious thing was the mention of the completely true two three ways that exist in the mule film because i feel like that's when it really elevated 
the zaniness. It felt like a lot of their comedy was really focused on like this man is ninety years old and he drives around, and that was some that was pretty funny. But I feel like when they actually talk about the three ways that occur, I think that really proves their point about how wackadoo the movie is, and it just finishes really strong with Mulaney being like, "Well, I got fifty two more years, and then I'll be able to have one." <laughs> so two three ways is that like a six way? Isn't that like the reflexive property? No, exactly. Well, I don't know if you're, if it's additive, if it's in separate instances. It could just be if you swap two people around. Is that the same three way or is it a different one? I'm not entirely sure. We'll have to check out the Mule Laney in several years. Yeah, we'll have to get our math experts. I know we have a big math audience that listens to this podcast. Talk to me about uh, something else you uh, enjoyed or want to talk about with the Brosnahan episode. Okay, the Brosnahan episode. There was one at the end that I really liked, and it wasn't really laugh out loud, but I just liked the spirit behind it. And that was the Kool Aid Man needing mm. to ask consent before he runs through a wall and says, "Oh yeah." It was like you know, it takes subtle digs at this Gillette episode and all these you know companies taking these social stances on things that nobody really asked them to do. So it just, I just like the surrealness of that that the, the Kool Aid Man would take a stance on a uh, on a consent. <laughs> I just like the thought process behind that. This is one of those where I think if you didn't watch the Gillette ad, you maybe lost a bit of the context there. So I will dock it maybe a little bit for not necessarily functioning on its own as like uh, a property that's not dependent on you watching the original content. But I feel like to go from Gillette to Kool-Aid is so <laughs> random, but it's so well done. I love, you know, uh, Alex bursting in with the red suit and the, the Kool-Aid mustache and just the, the turnaround point for all these these men and their relationships to realize that, oh, you need to ask consent before you burst in on a wall like that turn ended up working really well, ended up actually informing some of the choices made initially on. So I thought it was a, a strong pre-tape, uh, maybe not necessarily a hugely funny pre-tape, but a well-done one. So I agree with you. Yeah, and I mean, I it wasn't the highlight of the Brosnahan episode, but I like that and the thought process behind behind it better than anything in the McAvoy episode. So that's that's the big just a difference between the two. Um, we didn't mention Leave Me Alone, where mm-hmm. women can hold off uh overly affectionate and and uh pervy <laughs> overly flirtatious man yeah by with by holding an urn of their dead father so i i that got a lot of play i saw a lot of people enjoyed that on the internet that wasn't i mean i'm not really the target market for that but i saw a lot of people like that one so i'll give a shout out to leave me alone yeah i i enjoyed that one because of the messaging and the fact that i thought it was really well done i think that if you're talking about other sketches that keenan does well and i thought he was really good as like the beach perv uh, mm-hmm. and especially that's just really well-framed shot of when they talk about leave me alone also doubles as a water bottle and you see rachel brosnahan <laughs> drinking out of the urn you just see keenan in the background walk by and just give her this double take like what the hell and then they just sort of totally uh ignore it uh when they brought up the with ego the uh the lower back spikes i kind of wanted to do like more products based on that i know it's a commercial for leave me alone but i thought that was a really fun way to end it and i hope we sort of built on more of these uh, essentially like anti-flirtation devices to utilize. I'm sure there are plenty that they could think up. Yeah, it's funny. I'm looking at my list of the Brosnahan episode, and there's not one thing I didn't like in that episode. And that's like there weren't a lot of super highs other than I think Millennial Millions for me and maybe the Millennial and Davidson thing. So that's why I maybe wouldn't put it in the top three with Myers and Matt Damon and all them. But yeah, there's almost nothing in this episode I didn't like. Like the, the, the Trump thing at the beginning with deal or no deal, at least that was a different setting. At least they got to use some Im- imitations and impressions and stuff. The monologue was fun with the Let's Have Fun song. At least they did something. I mean, that was kind of the spirit of the show. Let's have fun. We're just, this is just a fun episode. And everything after that was pretty strong. So, yeah, it's just a solid, fun episode from start to finish, even though I think Michael Che was a little off on some of his timing on his jokes. But it doesn't matter because he made up for it the next week. And, he's, and those guys are always so strong and update. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, let's move into the next week. One thing I want to talk about, we talked about one of the rap-based pre-tapes. What did you think about a a word from Leslie Jones, her rap about the Upper East Side? Because as a former New Yorker, I I feel like this is one of the things that, like, oh, this is perfect for people who know New York or used to live in New York. But I would be intrigued to hear from someone like you who doesn't necessarily know the geography, what you thought about this. Yeah, to me, it was just too specific to New York. Like, I've only been there one time in my life. They might as well be doing a rap about some street in Chicago I've never heard of. I don't know. I don't know anything about the Upper East Side. So like that, I'm clearly not the target market for that. And I I just get tired of all the rap songs on SNL to start with. But yeah, that that one really didn't do anything for me. But I have seen many people saying that was the best part of the show for them. So if you're from New York and that speaks to you, then more power to you. I'm glad you enjoyed it. But that's I am clearly the wrong person to ask about that one. Yeah, I mean, I think it basically like I guess it filled in the blanks in terms of like all you need to know about the Upper East Side is that it's full of like essentially like older upper crust white people 
and Leslie Jones, basically. She makes that joke when she says, like, yeah, there are black people here, like nurses and nannies and my Jamaican doorman. Uh, and then they talk, you know, they talk about a bit about the, the fresh baked bread and all this community stuff going on. I think it had a lot of fun energy to it. And again, I really appreciated it as it's sort of like that New Yorker thing of like, oh, yeah, I totally get that. The only subway station that doesn't smell like pee. But I can understand <laughs> from an outsider's perspective how those specifics actually don't work supremely well because you don't necessarily know what they're referencing in comparison. Did you have any, are you, uh, are you, did you find yourself resonating with Kate's attitude of not going out anywhere, just staying home with your cat? Yeah, that's pretty much my life right there in a microcosm. (laughs) That was my favorite part of that. I did, I did enjoy the Kate with the cat part, but that's the only part that of that whole song that really resonated with me whatsoever, even though I do not have a cat. I want to talk about maybe another uh, reference-heavy sketch here. I mentioned it before. What did you think about Return to Narnia? I just didn't get that one, but it's like it's kind of like the uh, the what was the one with uh, the the Aquaman guy, the, uh, the Jason <laughs> Game of Mom- Thrones. Yeah the, yeah, the Jason Momoa sketch. Yeah, I mean that wasn't for me. I've never seen Game of Thrones. I've never seen Narnia. I have no idea what's going on. My wife was the same way. She's like, this sketch just isn't for me. She was watching it last night when she's like, I have no idea what's going on in this sketch and I don't get it. And it didn't really feel like the audience was all that into it either. So I'm sure there was a, there was an audience and a market for that sketch and I'm sure they enjoyed it. But clearly that was not that was not for me. Yeah, I mean, I think that maybe I'm more dealt into this culture, especially as someone who like was a teenager when those movies came out around. There is, I think, a community of people who do sort of uh, find some romantic interests in this fictional character, Mr. Tumnus, <laughs> particularly James McAvoy's depiction. It is a random thing to pull out, but I guess good on McAvoy for committing, I think by far the best line, and maybe one of the best lines of the entire show was uh, him essentially boiling their type down to lazy Hermione's, uh, which I think just works so well in terms of like the, the frizzy hair and the glasses and like the, the frumpy dressing. I think that's, that's just, that was just a perfect way to boil down those characters, all three of those characters. Uh, into one what did you think about the scottish air traffic control sketch um the scottish air traffic control that was the one as that sketch started i'm like this is going to be the standout of the night like i can always tell when a sketch starts this one's going to work it was pretty funny but like some of the timing of it was off heidi's lines i don't know if you noticed she was off on her lines the timing was wrong yeah she 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 opened the door too early and stood there for like a cutaway and then back to her it just felt kind of sloppy. And again, I, I appreciated it. And I was really cool listening to an actual Scottish person pull out the full on, you know, Sean Connery brogue. But yeah, it's like, I didn't really think it was as funny as it could have been. But I, I've seen many people say that was like the greatest sketch of the night. That was a really good one. But I'm like, it was kind of a weak episode. So yeah, that one did stand out. But it just felt to me like that one should have been funnier. And I'm not sure how I would have done it differently. Maybe, maybe, McAvoy was a little too unintelligible. Like you actually weren't even getting the jokes half the time. I'm not sure, but I'm curious. What did you think of that one? So, I mean, in, in, on paper, you would say you put this in the same category as the earthquake name sketch of like, yes, this is stupid. The one joke is you can't understand what he's saying. And I actually, you know, thought that would be the joke beforehand. And they're like, okay, we're going to put you on the line with somebody. I'm like, okay, he's going to have a Scottish brogue and you can't understand what he's saying. I, I just felt like it didn't go anywhere. At least the name change sketch jumped between people. There were funny names to bounce back and forth. There were different people reacting. This was basically James McAvoy talks for a portion of time and Mikey Day responds with what? And they just keep going back and forth with that. We do throw in Keenan for a little bit, but he all hell knows uh, out of there pretty quickly. I think by far the best line was Mikey's like, you know, I can't really understand your accent. Can you just like not use it? Uh, That might have been the best part. But other than that, it, it just felt a bit one note to me and as much as james did a fantastic job of delivering all those things super quickly and super unintelligibly it it, it just it felt too repetitive for me personally yeah and it just goes back to your point that you said earlier that the first half of the show all had a bunch of ideas that looked pretty good and they just didn't really pop all the way yeah and i think that's kind of that one's the kind of the uh what the uh what's the word the the spokesperson for that description right there, that one. Well, and I would say the Charmin focus group is another indication of that as well. I think McAvoy's character was by far the best part. I actually think what this one suffered from is something that maybe the Barbie focus group could suffer from, which is too many weird characters. Because here hmm. we had four characters, right? We had Kate's character, who was all about, you know, uh, maybe the takeoff on the Millennial Millions character from the last week about how she feels, you know, white guilt and she wants to make sure that that's not appropriated in the Charmin hat. You had Kyle Mooney being the dumbest of dumb, thinking the Charmin bears are real. You have Keenan as the uber intellectual 
who also is also interested in panties. And then you have McAvoy, who I feel like is really the star of the sketch when giving all of these random ideas that go from the sexual to just the scatological. I, I felt like maybe there was too much going on there. Maybe if we had cut out one character or if we minimized the other characters, because I really like the McAvoy stuff, especially the very extended last one where this bear falls through the toilet into a land of people made out of poop and pee, and it's his wedding day, and he's actually marrying one of them is so mm-hmm. weird, and McAvoy does a good job of delivering it, especially with that Philly accent, which, again, just speaks towards the magnitude of his talent. But there was so much other stuff going on that it, it, was, it was tough to sort of sift through it, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I think that's all very good comments, and I I hadn't really thought of it that way, but I, yeah, maybe there was one too many character in there that just kind of, it seemed gratuitous after a while. Maybe that's it. Mm-hmm. Did you have any other thoughts about anything in the, uh, in the James McAvoy episode on the whole? You know what really makes me love an episode, and it really pops when this character pops up in an episode? Kathy Ann. <laughs> She she had a good run briefly after Trump was elected, where she actually was like making some some solid points. But now I think it sort of has gone back to what it was before. <laughs> yeah, it's like, and I've said this, and I feel bad saying this, but I try to give my honest opinions on here that I really think almost any sketch where Cecily's the lead and she's doing wacky stuff, it just drags the show to a halt. It just stops everything. It's like, oh god, here we go. It's Kristen Wiig again. But Kathy Ann is the one when she pops up. There, I'm like, this is gonna not gonna end well. <laughs> so yeah, I just it's I hate to say that, but she is my least favorite character of my current least favorite cast member when kathy ann comes on there mario's gonna tune out i can tell you right now yeah i mean i thought this was fine i think the soldier boy appearance not only was it fresher but i think it had more energy to it this was sort of sort of like kathy ann talks through political events and she had some stuff you know she got up on the uh on the table to pretend like she was climbing over the wall uh i do like the fact that her and michael che are apparently involved in this like sordid romance that they never att- actually clicked <laughs> but yeah I- i'm fine without her for a little bit. Anything else you wanted to highlight or lowlight from this episode before we look ahead to February? Just that uh, Colin Jost and Michael Che, I think were on fire, this McAvoy one. And they really, again, they, I cannot uh, keep saying enough about how much energy they add to the middle of the show, especially Michael Che. Again, some of the rants he had on this McAvoy episode were fantastic. So that's the thing. As much as I, whenever I say I like an episode or I don't like an episode, it's independent of Weekend Update, who, which I like always. Like there's, it's not, a, it's not even a question. I will always like weekend update because of those two and how good they are. So I just want to give a shout out as I always do to those two, especially Michael Che, how good he is. All right. Well, let's look ahead here. I'm not sure if you saw it, but SNL is going to be off next week, but the week after they're coming back and it is our first dual host musical guest episode of the season, Mario. And a bit surprising here, Halsley is hosting and performing as a musical guest I'm going to take a shot in the dark. You have no idea who that is, do you? I'm a big fan of her slash him. No, it's a her. I know it's a her. I know that much. But no, I've never, I have no idea what she does or what her songs sound like. And so I will rely on you, my millennial friend here. Is she good? Is she going to do a good job? So she's a good singer. And I feel like she's really uh, built up as of late with like, I, I think she appeared in a couple of, uh, she'd appeared in a Chainsmoker song. Uh, you know, she's, uh, she's appeared on things like The Voice. Uh, most recently i remember she was on an episode of rupaul's drag race which i cover as well uh but i don't know how much like acting she's really done so that should be interesting because i feel like usually when they bring someone in it's it's a host who either is so charismatic or has acting experience like drake where you feel like they could fit both roles halsey feels like it's going to be a complete risk but i mean maybe this is a season that needs to take more risks so i'm i'm here for it it's a strange choice for our first dual slot, but I'm, I'm happy that they're at least, we're at least getting one here. Did you call her Halsley when you first said her name? I, just, I said Halsey. Surprising here, Halsley is hosting. Okay, I thought you said Halsley because I was going to issue, issue a Gen X correction and say it's actually Halsey. So I was very excited. I think I caught you in something there. No, the the boomers uh, don't don't bring the boomers out to lecture me yet. I think okay, I, I'm sure I'm, I'm screwed. I screwed at least four things up over the course of this podcast that more than make up for it. Uh, but yeah, I guess we can, we can look ahead as to what's to come in February. So again, to sort of brief you on the SNL after party schedule. Uh, so we'll switch things back over to John and Steve to cover the Halsey doubleheader. Mario and I will be back uh, probably near the end of February. Mario, in the meantime, how can people follow you on social media to contact you about anything SNL related? Yeah, first, uh, yeah, you can reach me on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. 
And uh, that's the main thing. I'm on Facebook as well. I don't know if, how many people actually use Facebook, but I'm on there more than Twitter. Twitter is a little too uh, millennial for me. Yeah, at Mario J. Lanza, facebook.com slash Mario Lanza. And I'm very excited to say that my movie podcast, Staff Picks, I'm just about to start it up again, where I talk about underloved and underrated movies and why they should get more respect and love in the world. You can find those episodes on iTunes or at staffpicks.podbean.com. And I just want to say again, thank you to everyone for listening for, to our uh, SNL thoughts and ramblings here. And uh, if we offended you, I apologize. Uh, if you disagree with us in any way, please tweet about it. That will solve everything. Yes, yeah, so and you can always follow me at a Mike Bloom type. You can check out all the random podcasting and writing that I'm doing. I'm covering right now Top Chef, RuPaul's Drag Race. I'm doing writing about Star Trek Discovery, Celebrity Big Brother. I usually publicize all the, the random stuff that I'm doing on my Twitter, so be sure to check that out. And yeah, thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to send us your thoughts as well. I'm, I'm intrigued to hear what John and Steve will think about the next batch of episodes as well. That'll do it for this month in review installment of SNL After Party. Thank you all so much for listening. Take care. Bye bye